0: Welcome to the Mindful Dietitian podcast. I'm Fiona Sutherland, body-inclusive non-diet dietitian and yoga teacher from Melbourne, Australia and director of the Mindful Dietitian. Please join me as I have important conversations with dietitians and health professionals from all over the world about getting brave and leaning into tough conversations as we cultivate a strong community of practitioners committed to body-inclusive practice. We'll talk about mindfulness, we'll dig into diet culture, and we'll explore ways of bringing courageous and important topics into our professional spaces so we can more deeply understand our own experience and make our work more meaningful. Thank you for joining me. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this next episode of The Mindful Dietitian. So maybe let's just take a collective breath here because, well, 2020, you've just been a lot. You've been a lot of things, including things that we probably can't even mention, even on this podcast. But amongst the lowlights, there's been some incredible opportunities to stay connected to each other, to the Mindful Dietitian community, to friends, and for me, for to podcast guests. We've been so fortunate to be able to translate some live training, which we were really disappointed not to be able to run, but into the online space, including an amazing body image series with Marcy Evans and an upcoming communication series with Christy Harrison, and then to find new ways of doing things, well, because we've just kind of had to. So, to find out more about what the Mindful Dietitian is all about, including supervision and training and networking, and of course in this podcast, head on over to the website, which is www.themindfuldietitian.com.au. I am absolutely thrilled to share with you a fantastic conversation I had recently with my colleagues and friends, Shavise Turner and Amy Pershing, co co-auth- authors of the book Binge Eating Disorder The Journey to Recovery and Beyond. So before we jump on in, I'll tell you a little bit about these extraordinary women. Shavise Turner is the founder and former CEO of the Binge Eating Disorder Association, otherwise called BEDA, which merged with the National Eating Disorders Association, (NEDA) in 2018. As part of NIDA's executive leadership team, Shavise developed the organization's key policy initiatives and strategy and directed its partnerships, programming and communications programs. Currently, Chavis is working as a consultant guiding advocacy organizations and corporations in the mental health space to make their environments and policies discrimination-free for higher weight individuals. I would thoroughly recommend Chavis as a consultant. Her passion for weight-inclusive care is just absolutely astounding. Those of you who know Chavis will attest to the fact she's passionate about changing the conversation around weight and body size. She's dedicated to moving beyond the current dominant weight-focused paradigm to one that is weight inclu- inclusive and promotes well-being free from weight stigma and discrimination. She carries these messages to audiences around the US and abroad in schools, healthcare settings, trade organizations, associations, professional conferences, corporations and government agencies. And next we have Amy Pershing who is the founding director of the Body Wise Binge Eating Disorder Treatment Program and the vice president of the Center for Eating Disorders in Ann Arbor, Michigan. She is also the creator of Hunger Wise, an international online nine week program for ending chronic dieting and weight cycling. Amy lectures internationally and writes extensively on the treatment of binge eating disorder, weight stigma and body acceptance. She is the winner of Beda's 2016 Pioneer in Clinical Advocacy Award, and is the past chair of the Binge Eating Disorder Association. In this three-way conversation, Amy Chavez and I talk about well, about a million different things, but Amy and Chavez share their lived experiences with an eating disorder and how it's influenced and enhanced their work. We talk about the myths, assumptions, and biases specifically surrounding binge eating disorder what it was like for Chevy starting a non-for-profit organisation and having binge eating disorder significantly recognised in the DSM-5. Amy speaks about why making sense of binge eating disorder can support healing and more about the internal family systems, otherwise called IFS, model. And then together we move on to talking about how health at every size can change and define one's practice and so much more. I really hope you enjoy this rich conversation with two genuine change makers. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello, Shaviz and Amy, and welcome to the Mindful Dietitian Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Oh wow, this is like stereo. It's so cool. As you both know, this is one of the first times that I've had two guests on, and I'm so thrilled. You both as co-authors of the incredible book, Binge Eating Disorder, The Journey to Recovery and Beyond, certainly changed the landscape with which we understand this particular eating disorder. And I'm sure I speak for uh, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people worldwide in saying a huge big thanks to both of you for writing this incredible book. It certainly changed the landscape of how we understand binge eating disorder.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was a it was a long time coming. I know for for both of us, we talked about it. I don't know, Chevy. What do you think? A thousand times years, uh, years. Um, but it, it it finally came to fruition, and it it felt really good to do it. And I I I really like the way it turned out. And I'm happy with it.
0: Yeah, that must be such a lovely feeling to reach the end of what undoubtedly was probably a long editorial process, not only between the two of you, but then also between you, editor, publisher, round, around, round. round. I, I'm, I'm guessing that's probably how it goes. And how wonderful to be, you know, pressing publish and to have the hard copy in your hands and to feel so deeply satisfied.
2: Very satisfying. <laughs> It's a gift. It
0: truly is a gift. Thank you. So just a reminder to everybody that binge eating disorder as a, as a diagnostic criteria in the DSM five, which is really uh, oh goodness, It's a, it's like the, um, diagnostic book that in psychiatry and psychology and medicine that we use to um, allocate people and, and name a particular set of symptoms or behaviors, um, uh, as as part of as one of the um subsets of what we call eating disorder so this was only in 2013 which is it, it's now 7 years ago but it's still very very fresh in my mind uh, because certainly, uh, as uh, as uh, um, as as personal experiences for people, that this was a very very long time coming. You know, actually, it being recognised, not not kind of swept to the side in eating disorder, not not otherwise specified, as it has been, as it had been previously. So this is enormous, and today we're going to be really diving into a little bit more about the evolution of um, evolution of both of your incredible work. So again, thank you so much for being here, and I am thrilled. Thank you. All right, I'm going to start with you. If it feels okay, Shabiz. I wanted to ask you that you know in your in the book binge eating disorder you you both devote a whole chapter which is called epicts about your body that keeps you stuck now it would be uh, absolutely inarguable if that's a correct word that binge eating disorder is full of myths, misunderstandings, misconceptions, assumptions, biases, et cetera, et cetera. So, Chavez, do you mind speaking, whether it's, um, you know, to your own personal experience or your observations in this space as to, you know, what are, what are some of the, the, the myths and assumptions that are so commonly made about binge eating disorder?
2: Sure, thank you. Um, You know, it's interesting because I think back um, to my own evolution in terms of the first time I ever heard a therapist say that what she thought I was dealing with was an eating disorder and that at the time it was in that non or or otherwise specified uh, category and um that she felt that binge eating disorder was what captured um my set of, of symptoms and behaviors and um and she let me know that you know that this is not something that's um diagnosed often right now because we don't know a lot about that um about it and so you know we're gonna work with this and she suggested to me that um we work with it in a way um that is um that would introduce non-dieting to me. And of course I thought she was absolutely crazy <laughs> because um as is the case with about seventy percent of people with binge eating disorder, I live in a, a higher weight body. And so I'm not somebody that you look at and and you know the the general public doesn't look at me and say this person has an eating disorder, except they think I have an overeating disorder. Um, but um, that that probably leads us to the the first myth about binge eating disorder, in that um, you know it is always in higher weight individuals, um, and that um, the the method that we address it is is um, partly through reducing someone's weight, um, which would be restriction. So um, as, as I traveled through my own journey, um, you know, the, the, the very first pieces were to really focus on the, the underlying reasons I was binging and to introduce non-dieting. And from there, I went through just a a roller coaster and um, you know many different therapists. I was referred back to you know weight loss clinics and um, you know all, all kinds of things, even though I had initially been introduced to this as as a um, something that probably would not benefit from from dieting. Um, and so in all of that, there's all, there are all these myths, you know, um, and the biggest one I think is that restriction is, is what is going to, um, or, or needs to be a part of the treatment. And, um, what we now understand is that just like, you know, anorexia, bulimia, and, and the various other sort of categories that, that we use is that binge eating disorder is as much about restriction as, as the others. Um, that doesn't mean that a hundred percent of people with binge eating disorder, um, always restrict, but it, 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 if we look at the behaviors, it really is about, you know, that, that need to binge and what, is held in that and amy will do a great job talking about that um but but it also is the it is the same fat phobia and fear of gaining weight that every other eating disorder um has as a part of it you know and um i think for for many of us the the eating disorder begins um, maybe not just as one factor, but a part of it is is the fat phobia and it is you know whether it 's our parents who put us on diets or it's we we decided to do that our, ourselves or you know just the influence of culture we live in a diet culture that becomes the approach i 'm going to starve myself until i can 't anymore, and then that builds the urge for the binge um, and it 's fascinating to me today. How, and this is, you know, um, I, I, um, have been in this field for almost 15 years and it's, it's fascinating to me that, that, you know, many dietitians and therapists and programs still use restriction as part of a restrictive eating disorder. Um, so (laughs) it just tells me that they're not listening to the lived experience. They're not really hearing their clients and they're not probing enough to find out what's going on. So that's the big one. Um, there is the issue around body size that not everyone with binge eating disorder is in a higher weight body. Um, but many are. And, um, you know that this, this is an eating disorder that can be, just as dangerous as any other disorder. Um, I so many times hear um, clinicians say, well, you know, self help is very effective for Benjamin disorder. I believe that in studies, we can get to a place where self help is helpful for someone. I have a very difficult time believing that in the long term. And, um, you know, I. Unfortunately, there are plenty of stories out there of people with binge eating disorder who have died or have you know um, tried to commit suicide um, just like in the other eating disorders um, The other myth is that you know I think this is a general eating disorder myth um but that that trauma does not play a role in most eating disorders, and you know um we just we have not found that to be true. Um, I know Amy and her practice sees so much trauma, the majority trauma, um, and you hear that across the board from um, clinicians, um, including dietitians who work with binge eating disorder, um, you know, through the years and really have a lot of experience that they. This is something that that they know they know it is to be true. Um, So I think those are the major ones. I think a lot of the others really um, kind of back into eating disorders as a whole. But um, those myths are huge because like me, they kept me from getting the proper care, which extended my eating disorder for decades, absolutely for decades. And was much, much more difficult to address at that point. Um, I didn't, You know, I was in my thirties and my eating disorder, really, I can remember binging at age five. So, you know, many, many, many years of, of binging. And, you know, the other thing that I, I don't think that we talk about a lot is that, you know, we often talk about, um, binge eating disorder being prevalent in the course of anorexia and bulimia, that people will experience binge eating disorder. Um, many people, um, I've, you know, been many, many places talking about this, um, topic and sharing my story. And I have heard so many conversations about how people have, you know, really experienced binge eating disorder being their primary disorder, the, 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 the the eating disorder that they've, um, experienced for the longest amount of time, but having, periods of time where they experience atypical anorexia or anorexia or bulimia or all of them. And so I don't think that I I know myself now that I definitely could have been if you know if someone had sort of stopped and taken a snapshot of me at a at a at certain points I would have been diagnosed with atypical anorexia. And um you know that just for some reason, when we're talking about fat people, um, it doesn't seem to be a consideration that there are other eating disorder behaviors um, that are being used quite often and sometimes for extended periods of time. So I think those are the, the main myths that that I can think of.
0: What a brilliant summary of all the, uh, all the aspects, all the, um, assumptions and biases that really interrupt the way that we're able to offer care and what you really elevate there, Shaviz, is the idea that, um, making assumptions and myths, it's, it's, it's not nothing. They are pervasive, they are highly influential in the way that people are able to engage in and maintain engagement in any kind of treatment service. Um, And the one thing that often strikes me when I'm reading the research and hearing stories, because like you spoke to, I think both of those are incredibly important and particularly listening to people's lived experience, particularly that, I mean, you can read all the articles you like, but actually sitting down and listening to people's experience really, Uh, that's the that's the part that is going to enrich our uh if if you are a professional listening that is the thing that's going to enrich our um, our degree of experience um but what it it seems is that the, the the gap between um the onset of if we could call them symptoms or behaviours or a collection of behaviours and experiences, of course, because it's not just behaviours. It's also got to do with mood and physiological changes and uh, relationship changes and all of the things that are inextricably linked in with the experience of an eating disorder is the gap. It's the time, the delay that happens between the onset of a particular set of experiences and then accessing really good care is th- that's the, it seems as though that's the major difference between uh, binge eating disorder and also atypical anorexia actually, um, and other eating disorders. So um, yeah, was there anything you wanted to speak to a little more about that? I think just
2: to to sort of hop on your last point and um, to to note what what the similarities are in, in those, um, those disorders and that, that most of the people who are experiencing those disorders, atypical anorexia and bulimia, also people, um, or I'm sorry, binge eating disorder, but also people with bulimia, um, is that they are in higher weight bodies. And we know that in the general public, bodies are stigmatized for their size. Um, The fatter you are, the more stigmatization and and oppression that you experience. And that, um, you know, the eating disorders community, the people that we look to to um, help treat us is there is a very, very small community of people that really are expert at treating um, higher weight bodies and understand how to harm them and the the remaining part of the community really needs a lot of help to be brought along um and to understand how to not do harm because it's a it's a very fat phobic community it it reflects the the illness unfortunately
0: yeah it's interesting you say that because um I often I often observe you know interactions within the eating disorders community, and I often think about it maybe through a systems lens, or maybe through a trauma lens, um, or maybe through an eating disorder symptomat- symptomatology lens. And I just think, ah, uh, wow. <laughs> Wow. There is so much here. Like if this whole field could go to family therapy, we would be in a much, much better place. But, yes. um, but typically, you know, whole whole groups of people that aren't in uh, families don't typically go to, I mean, what would we call it? We would call it systemic, systemic family therapy or something. I don't know what we call it. <laughs> Systemic
2: community uh, therapy, maybe. systemic community
0: healing, maybe I don't know
2: what maybe, we would call yeah.
0: it. Yeah, I don't know what we would call it. I'm sure. Or maybe should... individuals
2: could do their own work.
0: Well, there's that, that too, cool too. Right, <laughs> <laughs> there is that too. We, which is really the call, right? It is really yeah. the call that we are able to um dig in and do our own work whether that is um you know within community in supervision by attending you know um conferences with learning from others and um, you know becoming um, more wise when it comes to social justice issues and reach, um, the ways in which social justice inextricably link with eating disorders and eating disorder yeah. care yeah yeah and that is until we get to systemic community healing as we're calling it. We've created a new field. Created a new field, that's right. Right. I think so. Yeah. I'll hand that one to to you, Shaviz and Amy. You can take care of that. I'll just um <laughs> I'll, I'll just jump along for the ride. <laughs> there we go. Now Amy, I wanted to uh switch to you if that feels okay. I absolutely loved the compassion, which absolutely flowed through the chapter, how binge eating disorder happens and why it makes sense. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about why making sense of our experiences helps us in recovery and um, and why maybe as therapists, dietitians, um, professionals that are listening, you know, why it can help us to support our clients if they are able to come into closer um, familiarity or into closer contact with um, with why this all,
1: why their experience makes sense. Yes. I, I think, uh, you know, I know part, a big piece of why this was important to me um, came from my own experience with binge eating disorder. That's, that's really the core of this chapter. Um, when, I mean, for, for sure, I felt tremendous shame about the behavior. Um, I was not a good dieter. I was cheating. I was going off the diet. I was, I was being bad. I didn't connect at at early on in my eating disorder that in fact my binging actually was working. It was helping me to survive. But I didn't connect it that way. I connected it as a lack of willpower because that's, that's what I learned, right? I learned that there was some fatal flaw within me. So when I went to treatment the first time, um, actually the first few times, um, you know what I heard was, "We're gonna, we're gonna whip you into shape here, and you're gonna be able to to stick to your diet. And the reason that you're not sticking to your diet is because you've got low self-esteem. And so we're gonna help you with that self-esteem, and by golly, you're gonna stick to your diet, and you're gonna lose weight, and everything's gonna be fine." There's a fundamental flaw in that logic, which is. Somehow I'm going to feel better about myself and then I'll be able to fix what's wrong with me. <laughs> yeah. Right? No. Yeah. And crazy. So, I, so, you know, part of me tried really hard to get it right as we do. Right. Because we're, we're trying to make sure people are happy with us. Right. Because that's fundamental, especially if you have a trauma history. Mm-hmm. Right. I got, I got to be sure that people are okay with me. And then there was another part of me that said, no way. I'm done. I'm done denying my truth. I'm done denying my body. I'm done being run by shame. Now I wasn't conscious of that those two parts and that polarization. I wasn't conscious of that at the time that was many years later. But but what I realize now looking back is I have, and I know this is kind of controversial in some ways in the eating disorder community, but I find I have tremendous gratitude for my eating disorder. It's how I survived. And that's a big piece of the the compassion energy that was in that that chapter. Um, So many of my clients come to me with that same story of just this profound shame that they just can't get it together and stick to the program, right? There's some, what is wrong with me? And what I find is always I try to come from, to binge eating disorder from a strengths perspective, which means that this relationship to food makes sense. It's helped you, it's helped you survive. It's brilliant, job well done. Let's see from this point going forward, can we figure out a way so that you can get your actual needs met instead of having to mask them with that relationship with food? So that's a, that's a big part of it. The, the other piece I think that's, that I find to be really important in, in healing is that we need to trust our lived experience. We are so taught to distrust our gut, our intuition, our body. We are fundamentally taught that someone else knows better than we do. And those narratives are especially profound when there's trauma, right? There's something wrong with me. The system is okay, right? Or the perpetrator is okay. There's something wrong with me. I deserved what happened to me. That same narrative of I deserve this terrible fate of being fat. Because I don't have willpower. And again, that's whether or not the 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 universe considers you to be fat, you feel fat. Right? And I think that's it is different living in a big body, bigger body, than it is being afraid of living in a bigger body. It is different. But they both are born from this narrative that something about me is not okay. It's not to be trusted, and I need to fix it. And so I always come to therapy with my clients, essentially starting with, again, like I said, job well done. Let's see how we can begin to really relieve the burden of that young part that holds the eating disorder that's trying to help you survive. Let's see if we can get that powerful, untraumatized self to be able to step up and protect you. And how do you do that? By listening. And that's what the health at every size piece is about. That's what the intuitive eating part is about is trusting and listening. So I always find that to be incredibly important in healing for clients to come to really appreciate all of the things that they did to cope.
0: Thank you so much, Amy. That was a, that was a beautiful um, traversing of the 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 journey of um, shame and um the the journey of um, trauma and disconnection and then how we can really understand our experience from a strength perspective and how um, our attempts and efforts were actually so well directed towards survival fundamentally uh we I, i didn't um kind of pr- prep you for this but one of my favorite chapters was actually the taking your power back chapter where um and the reason I'm going to ask you a little bit about this Amy is because you just referred to it just now and you speak beautifully um, through uh, correct me if I've got this wrong but really through an internal family systems model um, <laughs> yep yep and you speak about parts and you speak about self um, self with a capital S, as is the case in, in IFS. Do you mind expanding a little bit on that, particularly for people for whom this might be a little bit of a newer kind of concept because I found you wrote about it so beautifully um, and it was very, very clear. It was very, very clear in the book, but you know, how parts kind of organize themselves, I guess, as to protect protect or manage um and then the, the role of the self do you mind just taking us just just a just a, a brief journey through and of course um uh, of course like get the book if
1: you want to read more sure i'd be happy to just kind of in a nutshell so what one, one of the things i really love about ifs is again this this piece around it's 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 an empowerment um perspective it's also a non-pathologizing perspective so really it's it, it's 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 based on the idea that internal multiplicity or an internal system of parts is normal and, and if we think about it that's 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 for most of us a common everyday parlance we will say a part of me feels this way a part of me feels this way and when we're doing that what we're doing is acknowledging that we can hold lots of different ways of or lots of different feelings about something at the same time. So that's, that's one piece. Another fundamental sort of tenet to IFS is this idea of self. And I really love that particularly with trauma survivors because IFS is, is predicated on the idea that two things. One is everyone has that self energy and that self cannot be traumatized. Right. So even for my clients with the worst trauma histories that I have heard, trauma histories that make me gasp, and I have heard a lot. um, Even with those clients, there is a core, undamaged, compassionate, curious, gentle, loving self. It can be hard to access sometimes, and that's really the work of therapy. But a lot of healing is about getting that self in charge. And we might access that self. We're all, we're all familiar with it. We might access it when we're thinking about, like, kind of our best self. Sometimes it's when we're meditating or we're thinking about the bigger issues or we're feeling uh, compassion toward ourselves or towards someone else. Right? So, that's those are sometimes our, our experiences of self. So, a lot of work of healing is getting that part. getting self in charge. When we can do that, self can offer compassion and love to and protection to those other parts. And and I was just talking about a, a minute ago, we've got maybe one part that's the dieter. That's what IFS refers to sometimes as a manager. It's the part that works really hard to make sure everybody's okay with us, right? And for trauma survivors, it's especially strong, right? So we've got to work really hard to be sure that we're Thin, and we're this and we're that, and we're giving 110%, and we're da- 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 da, all the things that we've been taught we're supposed to be. And that's both within the family system, but it's also outside in the cultural system as well, which is where the intersectional piece becomes mission critical. So there's that part that works really hard. And then I also mentioned that part of me that said, I'm done. I don't care. I've had it. I'm tired of trying to be what everybody wants me to be. That's another part, right? Those two, for my eating disorder, stayed locked in battle for about 25 years (laughs) before I was really able to recognize that both of them had the same goal, which was to protect me. Mm -hmm. They were just doing it in very different ways. And both of them were doing it from a a space of being young, right? They didn't have the necessary skill set to really protect me. Self has that. Right. So I also love IFS because the, our, our job isn't to get rid of parts. Our job is to invite everybody to listen to all of the parts. What are all of those different, what are all of the things that we've kept ourselves away from or, or you know, masked or covered? Can we allow our truth? Can we, can we go in safely is how I think about it. That's really my, my kind of measure of recovery. It should be safe to go in. Right, that should be a safe place, mm-hmm. and I think IFS does a very good job with that. So I hope that that wasn't a nutshell, was it? But I did my best. It was, it was a more of a walnut than a, an almond, shall we say? Walnut. I yeah, Chevy knows this about me. I, I I have a tough time with almonds. I'm more of a walnut gal, but.
0: Love it. No, we really appreciate that, Amy. And and, I mean, it was a little bit unfair of me, actually, to say, hey, how about you explain IFS in two minutes type thing? So (laughs) my apologies for that. That was a little bit unfair. You did a beautiful job.
1: Thank you. I hope it was (laughs) cogent.
0: Absolutely. It made complete sense. Thank you so much. No, it's beautiful. Sure. Chavis, I'm going to go back to you if that feels okay. Sure. Now, a lot of your life um, has really been in the advocacy space. So I'm so curious, if you don't mind kind of walking us through um, how advocacy became became such a big part of your uh, professional life and personal life too. Because, you know, when we're working in this field, I I think all of us can recognise that it becomes so personal as well it becomes it actually you know get gets right into your into your soul. Yeah. So you are one of the most highly regarded advocates that I know of, that I know of. Thank you. And uh, yeah Amy's like nodding furiously along. <laughs> yeah. I Peter. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take the money. Take the money, do it for free. However, mm-hmm so i'm curious if you can step us through a little bit about you know why advocacy has been so important to you particularly for particularly for uh for binge eating disorder which as we you know spoke about before not only um you know not being recognized really formally until 2013 but then also the stigmatization um and all of the myths and assumptions that go along with uh, this particular uh, set of experiences, behaviours and symptoms. Um, so so ad- advocating is very critical. So tell, tell us a little bit about your journey in advocacy. Yeah, so um,
2: I mean, I, I have to start at the very beginning and say that for some reason, I just, I came out of the womb as a political beast. Um, I just, you know, and and I definitely grew up in a family where politics was always discussed at the table. Um, I have a very right-wing father and left-wing mother, Um, you know, and um, the, you know, just politics and human nature and um, social interaction, all of those things were always just fascinating to me. And, um, and my mother was always, you know, she's a feminist and, Um, you know, talked a lot about um, feeling repressed and I just, you know, I grew up um, feeling like I'm going to do whatever I can to be different than, you know, the women in the generation before me. Um, And so I um, got a degree in political science and um, after college I moved to Washington DC and you know was going to become the president or or something. Um, I wasn't sure at that time Um, but I started my career um, working on campaigns and um, doing a lot of just volunteer advocacy work and um, I I began working um, in the healthcare arena around advocacy and policy. And, and my first job um, in that was um, in the oncology field. And so I really learned, I you know, I was able to take my political science degree and the advocacy, the love of advocacy and and um, healthcare and kind of learn how they all came together and how, how do I affect change to help people. Um, and I worked on the regulatory side um, a a bit. And I worked in the pharmaceutical, uh, company, a, for a pharmaceutical company. Um, and around that time, my eating disorder, I, I also had, uh, two children and my eating disorder, although I was continuing to, to, um, engage in treatment, I, um, because of some health issues, I, I just, kind of freaked out and even though I was attempting to not diet and so forth, I I had my first son and, and the health conditions and I opted for lap band surgery. And immediately coming out of that surgery, I just, I knew that I did something that was going to really not turn out well. and. I started thinking a lot about, you know, why is it I've never been able to find a way to get out of this? You know, why, why does making my body smaller never work? You know, why, why do I always turn to to food and have this constant struggle? Like, can I do this for another 50 years? I don't think I can. And I started reading and I started, you know, I stumbled into eating disorders um, research and it just happened to be the year that um, a critical study was released, the Hudson study out of Harvard. And it, it, for the first time I saw just how many people were affected by binge eating disorder. And it kind of blew me away. I was like, what? There are, you know, three times as many people with binge eating disorder, as anorexia and bulimia put together. And that blew me away. And then I discovered that there still was not a formal disorder, that I couldn't be diagnosed with anything. And so I started looking into that. And fast forward, I decided um, there was a point in my life, some things had changed. I I was leaving my job and I decided, you know what, I know how to do this. I'm going to start a nonprofit just for binge eating disorder. Cause there's enough people affected. And I was determined that the first thing we were going to do is make sure that it got into the DSM. Um, and so, you know, that was, that was the thing that, that we worked on first and just bugging, the APA folks and you know trying to to make a case that this really does have utility and it needs to be in the book. So I have I have a lot of different feelings about the DSM these days, but you know it is what it is. We have it. Um, maybe someday that'll change, but um, it was a critical point because from my perspective, and I think for many others, it validated us. You know, it made us feel like there's something here, and it it um yeah it's utility we treatment can be provided and people can recover so that was that was a huge bolster to the binge eating disorder community and um you know it for me all along the way that just the the being so immersed in it and being around all these amazing people who had actually you know stepped outside of the the eating disorders community and said you know what we're treating this we actually know what this is and how to treat it and all that other stuff that you all are doing is not helping and Amy was one of those people and she and and others I mean I I really I got to recover for free in a way (laughs) Um, because I was around all these amazing people who were, who were teaching me and I was, I was learning about health at every size. And I was, I was learning about intuitive eating and all of these things were so important. And then I was able to go out and give voice to them and say, you know, this is really important. We need to pay attention to this. So, um, you know, it was, It was finally a community that I needed, you know? So I I really did it for myself first. um, And because I knew that I wasn't alone, that many, many other people needed this. And and people like Amy and and other therapists um, needed to be able to get their messages out and have their voices heard. So, you know, in the US, this, um, you know, the binge eating disorder association really shook up the field because all of a sudden fat people with eating disorders were paid attention to and discussed and said, we are here and we are a part of this community. And that advocacy got me really excited. And we also brought the issue of, of weight stigma to the forefront. We said, you know, this is, this is fat phobia also known as weight stigma. We've internalized it. We've externalized it. You know, we, it, it is a huge problem in the eating disorders field. And in 2011 said, we said, we're going to actually make this into a program and, and dedicate a week to it and talk about it. And so we did that. So, um, you know, it, it was, it was really as, as I was learning, the advocacy followed that so you know i was learning from all these amazing people and then i could take that out and and really kind of put it out in the public sphere and and hopefully help people that was that was the whole idea
0: well i'll i'll let as somebody who has known you for many years i'll let amy speak to that but personally as somebody who has known you just uh, the the more recent handful of years I just wanted to say a huge thank you to you, Shavise, from the very, very bottom of my heart, because you have changed the way that this whole field operates. You have literally changed lives of people who are seeking help, um, or who who maybe even not quite ready that they but they can see themselves in others, and therefore. more willing to engage with um help and treatment and support whatever that looks like or however that accessible to them and certainly from a from the provider or treatment community that being able to get a sense of ourselves alongside others Mm -hmm. when for so many years we too felt like there was something maybe wrong with us as well. Maybe I'm not sure about how you felt, Amy, but for, for many years, I was like, I'm doing this dietitian thing wrong. I must be a bad dietitian, blah, 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 you know, et cetera, et cetera, which so many health-deprecised dietitians are like, yes, I so relate to that. We can't be losing people. We can't be, we can't be. Anyway, Amy, I, I want to hand over to you to, you know, talk about what, what your reflections are. Yeah, I
1: I, you know, I, 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 I hear you. I hear what you're saying. I, I had this. I, I mean, I went to you know different eating disorder organiz, organizations in my career, and I would listen to the presentations, and I would, I would put them through this filter system of, okay, this is how I have to change what I'm hearing from my clients who have binge eating disorder. Okay, that won't work. Nope, that works. Nope, not that. Right so it was this constant sort of filtering and, and you know I would see the presentations and it would say the eating disorders you know anorexia bulimia EDNOS and maybe I'd kind of say well I'm sort of in that eating disorder not otherwise specified my clients are sort of but not quite so when I met Chavez it was this like it was it just felt heaven sent you know, that here is this this person who she gets it from her own experience she's speaking truth um and i had been trying to do that from within the organizations for some time as a clinician and i just felt like i don't i don't have time to do this i got people who need treatment you know, this is, I, this is not my this is not my thing so when chavis said i i want to i want to say this out loud in this community i just said sign me up how do i how do i take part in this um and it's been just an absolute gift to watch Chavis work and to bring people to the table who I think again will be forever changed in how they think about eating disorders it it's it, I, i'm i don't know where we would be without them
0: mm.
1: hehe I'd, st- I'd still be going to conferences and filtering filtering like what i'm
0: hearing now i hear you that was very much my especially my early days experience and and still unfortunately still to this day still doing that you know yeah. so amy if it feels okay to stick with you just for a moment i'm curious to to understand a little bit more about the kind of the the impact of the influence of health at every size in your work you know quite a few people that are listening will be either uh, what I call haze curious, or perhaps um, haze straddling, shall we say, um, or or perhaps, you know, very dedicated, committed, health at every size, um, devoted um, practitioners. So, what are the what has been the, the influence of health at every size in in your in your professional work, um, you know, and, and how is has these not only set of principles but but paradigms and community really supported you to bring uh, to bring not only your truth but then also to help your clients bring their truth
1: to the world. It for one thing, I feel like it it gave. Uh, a name and it gave tenets to to something that i had been doing um but but didn't have a name for so it 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 solidified it for my own my own personal work and also my professional work a, a way to talk about this approach that i hadn't had before i'd been kind of struggling with the language around it um, but fundamentally i think how it changed, or or I guess it's bigger than changed. It, It really sort of defines in many ways the work that I do because at its core is this idea of trusting one's body, that one's body is not something to be fixed. The way I talk about it is your body is your home. It's not a billboard, right? So our job is to trust that our body knows what shape and size it wants to be and that we need to listen to its wisdom. And that if it, it is not true that if everybody is listening, everyone will be thin, right? Where will, There will be many different shapes and sizes affected by many different things. Access to good foods, the availability of food, genetics, epigenetics, time in poverty, dieting history, eating disorder history, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Many, many things impact the shape of our bodies, and each body is as beautiful as our home, right? It's not our body's job to look a certain way. That, I think, beautifully we interweaves with the work of recovery from all kinds of trauma, too, right? Which is that we are giving ourselves the space to trust our own truth, And we need to do that in our body as well as our psyche. So that's why I I love the interplay of the two.
0: Thank you so much. That was a beautiful reflection of how how and why health at every size and weight-inclusive practice is really fundamental and foundational for when we are working with different human beings. And by different, I don't mean different to us. I just mean the variety of the way that the humans show up in the world. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, you know what? We could we could literally speak for a week and I hope that one day soon in the near future that we shall be able to speak for a week because I am going to definitely come both of your way and say right, who's got a cabin? Where are we going? Let's do the shopping and and let's just talk in a spa for a week. Does it does that sound okay? I'm, so I'm, perfect. In. I'm in. No, i No problem. In. You're in. Yeah, no hesitation there. Great. Excellent. This is good. All right. So I'll send the contract over so neither of you can now escape from this agreement. <laughs> Where do I sign? <laughs> right, right, right. My goodness. Cheviz and Amy, you know how much I adore you both. I tell you this regularly. I'm so grateful to both of you for um for your wisdom. your passion for your compassion for your generosity and the way in which you both show up in the world in your truth and encourage others to do the same your courage is i can't even find the words for the way in which you have both um individually and collectively really impacted my own work and then um and if, if that's true then that can be said thousands of times over so I'm so appreciative um, of your generosity of being here today and, um, and wish you both well in moving forward in, in the work that you will continue to do in the world and the gifts that you bring to the world. Thank you so, so much. Now, before we go, actually, what I did want to do is ask Chavez, first where people can find, do you want to point people in a particular direction for any of your work? Um I am
2: on Instagram as Turnunder and I am on Facebook at uh facebook.com backslash Shabise Turner.
0: Amy Pershing. Where can people find your
1: spectacularness? <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna call you sometimes if I'm having a rough day and I'm say just please say something nice to me. And you're you are my job. With pleasure <laughs> so thank you um the, the the best way is just through my binge eating disorder program which is the program.com
0: fantastic thank you and um in case you anybody missed it the incredible book binge eating disorder authored co-authored by amy pershing and shavis turner is available where all Decent to high quality, I guess, where all books are sold online, um, in bricks and mortar. Please support um, these incredible women who have bought so much to the world. The book you will never regret reading. This book, there's so much personal in it. There's so much professional. There's so much in there that will enrich your practice and your life. So, highly, highly recommend. Amy and Chavis, thank you so much again for joining me, um, and I really look forward to catching up with you again in the not too.
2: Thanks.
0: Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website, www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone!